Okay, as you find your way in, if you would open your Bible to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to reference that in a few minutes. Acts chapter 6. So back in June, I think it was, we had a little, or a big meeting about Christ Community Church 2.0, CCC 2.0. There's nothing magical about that name. It was just the way I was thinking about the, the next phase for Christ Community, and that was how I thought about it. So that's what it's been labeled so far. And um, I wanted to give you some more information about that, a little bit of an update, and then we'll have hopefully some time for some questions and answers. And just for clarity, a part of Christ Community Church 2.0 is the capital campaign, but I don't want to get people confused as those are two of the exact same things. There's several things about Christ Community Church 2.0 that we're thinking about. One is the capital campaign. So let me uh, pray for us as we get started. Lord, thank you so much for this body of believers, the time and attention they give to prayer and to serving. And we just pray that we're doing what you want us to do. We know that you're not trying to be unclear, but we have all kinds of mixed motives and, and the lack of, of hearing uh, really from you. So help us to hear and then to be obedient. Uh, to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to suggest this morning that uh, you and I are, as members of Christ Community Church, are facing two significant challenges. And recognizing these two challenges have caused us to assess where we are and then try to make a plan, create a plan to go forward. And uh, thinking about the two challenges, challenges, assessing where we are, and then making a plan, the result of the plan is what we're calling Christ Community Church 2.0. And I want to list the two, give you the two challenges, and then I'll unpack them uh, first and second. So the first challenge, as, as I would see it, and I would say we would see it, when, when I say that I mean the staff and the elders, is the expanding size of the needs of our community. So we just, it's not like we just saw this, but we're just seeing it with sort of fresh eyes that there's this expanding need for what we're doing in our community, and I'll unpack that. And the second is the greater need for deeper people. So the first, let me just talk about the first challenge, the expanding size of the needs of our community. I want to show a little video, and I'm just giving you, a, in case you're, you know, you have heart problems or anything, just... I'm giving you a warning, you might want to close your eyes, plug your ears, because it's from the movie Jaws. So, I mean, if this is going to hurt you somehow, just, no, 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 you know, I don't hear, I don't see. And in this little clip, there's really a classic movie line, but we'll, let's just watch it, and maybe you, you won't swim in the summer of 2019 as part of your time here. Okay, let me just, I'm going to show that again. But you, you know, if you don't know the story, they're out to catch a white, great white shark. 
and uh, they think they're going to catch something that's pretty big, but not as big as they find out. And so they're out sort of chumming, and they're looking for a big shark, and this is the first time they get a real, a real picture of it. Shut off that engine. Okay, so everybody's awake now. I mean, even if you didn't look at it, just the music alone, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun, you know something terrible's going to happen. Well, these guys go out looking for a 15-foot shark, maybe, and what they find is a 20, no, a, a 25-footer, and it weighs three tons, 6,000 pounds, and the writer, the screenwriter, gives us the classic line, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat. That's such a great movie line. They, they came out for something that was pretty significant, but they realized it's, it's much more significant than what they had imagined. And I would say that's where we are. We went out fishing for something, something we thought was big, but it's actually a lot bigger than we thought. And I want to turn to Acts chapter 6 and let you see how this chord, I just keep using this same analogy, this chord gets played over and over in the Bible, and especially in the book of Acts, and it starts in Acts chapter 6, and let's just look at this together, verse 1. And now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Okay, Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, he's ascended, the Holy Spirit has come, Peter has preached this sermon, and, and now subsequent sermons, and the church is growing. So, exactly what they thought would happen. Stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to preach. And just God's word and his, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is effective. And so the number of people are increase, increasing. And you might say this is where the, the fishermen turned into fishers of men. They, you see it happening right here in the early part of chapter 6. Now what's the, the uh, challenge that they face? A complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here we've got a problem. We've got um, the Greek widows and the Hebrew widows. And there's some, some problem with daily distribution. Probably it's either uneven or somebody always goes first or there's not enough. I mean, we're not quite sure exactly what the problem is. And they come and they bring this problem to the disciples. So just we can see there's a physical problem. People are hungry. Uh, 
There's a social problem because these widows don't have a social safety net. They don't have a family anymore, so they're left on their own. So we've got a physical problem. Inside the church, we're addressing a physical problem, a social problem. We've got an ethnic tension problem. So it's not by accident that we've got the, the Greeks and the Hebrews against each other. So it's not just some widows got together. It's two different camps got together, and there are two dif- different ethnicities and we've got justice problems. Somehow, there's something uneven going on here. So we've got some pretty significant problems happening just in this one line. And what I find fascinating is the disciples' response. Verse 2, they summon together this full number of congregants. What do they say? They've been preaching the Bible... They're full of the Holy Spirit. They've been preaching the Bible, and people are coming. Now we've got a big crowd, and we've got physical problems, social problems, ethnic problems, and justice problems. Now what could have they said? What would have been very tempting to say? This is what I wrote. Peter could have said, We know this is a problem, and we know these things are important. But Jesus told us to launch and build a church. We came just to fish for souls and preach the gospel. So we can't get bogged down in physical, social, ethnic, or justice issues. Those things will have to be addressed by someone else. Thank you for coming to the congregational meeting. There's coffee in the back. I mean, think about how tempting that would have been. And how they could have sort of justified it in a way. Look, you guys are going to be full of the Holy Spirit. You're going to preach. People are going to come. And that's what we're trying. We're trying to get souls in the kingdom. And yeah, there's all kinds of other issues in the world. But the church is going to just be a one-issue, you know, entity. So they could have just said to these people, these really are important problems. They wouldn't have minimized them. They would have just said, that's either for the government or, you know, your families or there's a bunch of other ways it can be addressed. It just can't be addressed by the church. That would have been pretty tempting. That would have been pretty easy, actually, I think, to say rather than what they did say. And I think what they said in verse 3 through 6 It's not right that we should give up preaching the word and serve tables. Therefore, we won't do anything. No. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So we want to tackle this. It's not going to be our particular jobs as apostles, but it's going to be another layer of organization in the church, which we would say were deacons. So some group's going to devote themselves, verse 4, to the ministry and prayer of the word, the ministry of the word, and then another group is going to address physical issues, social issues, ethnic issues, justice issues. But it's all going to be inside the church, and they, they, they got these men in verse 5. These they set before the apostles in verse 6, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. So I would say what we see here is First Church Jerusalem 2.0. I think 1.0 is get the Holy Spirit preach, and we get all these people, and now we go, okay, what do we do? We gotta, there's lots of organization that has to happen. There's actually other issues that we need to address, and we need to come up with 2.0. 
And I would say that's very similar to Christ Community Church's beginning and current stage. I think it would be fair to say, it certainly would be what I would say, is that when we started 16 years ago, we primarily started to preach the Word of God. That was, that was almost our whole windshield. And you can see the importance that we have on it today. And we continue to think it's important. Obviously, the disciples do too. And, uh, but over the course of time, and we're not just discovering it right now, but we realized, hey, that's, that's front and center. That's always going to be the sort of the meat and potatoes. That's what's going to keep driving it forward. But there really are other significant issues. People have physical problems. People have social problems. There's ethnic problems. There's justice problems. And we can either just say, those are big, and they're, they're really a troublesome in our society. It's just not our problems. That makes sense? That would be easy for us to say. But that's not the way God wants it. He wants the church to be involved in those things. And then the churches have to figure out how they're going to be involved with those things. And I would say, in the last two or three years, we've just... We've, we've built, we've, we've gained momentum. And now I'm the guy, not smoking cigarette, but I'm the guy saying, I think we need a bigger boat. New Hanover County's population currently is 225,000, more or less. In the year 2018, 2017, sorry, five, it grew by 5%. So 11,000 new people came into this little tiny county. That's a lot. That's not the same every year. I'm not saying it's going to be the same next year. I'm just saying that's a lot. You've seen it. It's not a mystery. Many of the 11,000 want to move somewhere in this area. <laughs> that's why there's apartment complexes and storage units and houses, but a lot of apartment complexes. And so we, we are in the southern part of the county, and especially if you just look on a map, strategically located to minister to, to that group of people. We're not going to minister to everybody in Castle Hayne, and, and we're not opposed to it, but that's our little footprint is if you just take a three- or five-mile circle right around here, people are coming. And we're, we're uniquely positioned with our land, and I think we're also uniquely positioned by our message to, to be a part of helping that community. If you think about the sermons being online, the college ministry, MOLO, which is Mothers of Little Ones, or Iron Leadership, and I could miss, miss, mention others, all of those are built to reach people that don't come to Christ Community Church. They're not specifically inside things. They do minister and help and encourage the people on the inside, but they're specifically built to be a part or be an arm to reach out in some area of the community. I had a, I was sitting in the parking lot at Lowe's Hardware, and I look on my phone, somebody's calling me, and it's a guy I haven't talked to in four years, college friend. And I didn't talk to him probably four years before that, but I happened to be out in Dallas at the Poulos' wedding. He lived in Dallas, so I, could, I reconnected with him. We had breakfast one morning, and how you doing, Scott? Great. Okay, how you doing? You know, I, you know we, we mostly had college memories together, and now I'm just catching up on his family. And so I hadn't talked to him in four years since then, maybe once. But I don't think I'd talked to him at all. So he calls me. I was like, oh, Scott Shadle's calling me. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, yeah, you know, I'm keeping up with you, Paul, there in Wilmington. Great. Yeah, I'm listening to your sermons. 
I, I listen to every iron leadership. So he's a big wig Boeing person in Dallas. That's, a, that's awesome, man. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, you just you get, ran out of books or something. You, got, you can't get, get to sleep. Okay, went online to hear me. I mean, hey, I want to send you $5,000, and I want you to put another leader around your table. And I want to do that year after year, and it might grow. I was overwhelmed. Okay, I mean, great. We'd love to take your 5000 and put somebody that you don't know around our leadership table and to get them involved. When you think about diversity, you know, last month we had the Wilmington on Fire movie, which you really need to see if you haven't seen it. You can rent it from the library. Um, and I found myself watching this at New Beginning Christian Church with these other pastors I'm in this group with. And then I'm on a panel in front of, I don't know, 100 people answering questions about the history of racial diversity in Wilmington. And so there's all kinds of people at this event. And somebody that I barely knew sent me an email the next week, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing with Rob. And that really encouraged me. That made me want to move out in a certain direction. Last week, we sent a check for $2,000 to Clifford Barnett. Uh, he's the pastor who preached here in July, I think it was, at Warner Temple, AME Zion Church downtown. And his church got heavily damaged. They can't use their church for several months because of the hurricane. And we had some money in a fund, and I said, hey, I want to send you $2,000. He was like, that's awesome. People have shared our pulpit in that regard the relationships that Kelly have made, uh, Kelly and David have made with Greenfield Village and Houston Moore. And I've mentioned this before, but somehow in the storm, Christ Community Church became the Latino church, the Latino hub. And Liz Cooper and I found ourselves on a conference call with uh, Red Cross uh, Los Angeles. They called us and said, hey, you're the Latino hub, right? <laughs> okay, I think we are right now. And let me get my friend on the line. Okay, she's on the line. Okay, this is what we want to do. How can we coordinate from, with you guys? We're like, okay, we're, I guess we're just that person. And it really was because of faithful years of service that d didn't get seen for a long time and suddenly, seemed suddenly, but it wasn't sudden for us, gets seen. And last week, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, Liz re will remember better than I am, I got an email from a, col a college student at Chapel Hill and he said, hey, I'm part of a, the Latin club, I think, or the Spanish club, some, something like that. I want to put on a concert and give the money to the Latinos in Wilmington. You guys are the Latino hub, right? I'm going to send you a check. And we're like, okay, all right. Yeah, we are the Latino hub right now. If you want to send us a check, we're any hub. If you want to check, get sent us a check right now. I, I didn't say that. Um, but I, I say all that to help you, I mean, I could, I could list 50 more stories. Mark hears them. He's in the staff meeting every week. What's this story? What's this story? I mean, just hundreds of stories come through. And when, I hear, I, when, when you hear me say we need a bigger boat, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to hear me say we need a bigger building. I think at some point that will be part of the discussion, but that's not the discussion right now. We just need an expanded view of what our role here is in Wilmington and how we're going to tackle that role. And some of that has to do with personnel. 
Some of that has to do with ministry. Some of that has to do with service. Some of that has to do with you. Some of that has to do with staff. There's all kinds of ways the boat can get bigger without us having to have another building. Does that make sense? So today we're just thinking about a bigger boat, meaning a, a bigger shoe to fit in for what God has given us. And in the last few years, we've just seen this shark that we thought we were chasing is really a lot bigger. So we're thinking in that way. So we came up with this slide that you've seen in a number of different ways. Well, if we think we need a bigger boat, you know, how do we get there? And there's sort of more to it than these five pillars, but these are the main sort of columns that we've thought about. And one is to say, well, we want to be people who are prepared, you know, to grow. We don't want to be a church who's like, oh, we kind of finished growing and we're, we, we like our crowd here on Sunday morning so that we went to two services. That was uh, one of the things that we did. And it's too early to tell just yet, but Mark was looking at some numbers that from, I think this is right, Mark, 2017 to 2018. So the winter of 2017, a year ago, to the spring of 2018, the numbers went up by two or three. Well, it was insignificant, really. The spring of 2018 to the fall of 2018, the numbers went up by 22. In the K-5, they went from 18 to 35. So just, just being able to say, let's get in a little bit bigger shoe, you know, whether... And see, that's not a building, that's options, has allowed people to intersect us in new ways. In diversity, you see that column, we already talked about that. The land and building, you've already seen, the, you know, the lobby changed, some signs. Greg Taylor did a great job in trying to get more parking back there after the, um, after the storm. Um, and then we're going to be working on a lot of technology upgrades, uh, both in here and in the building. And um, then we're going to have some meetings with different groups of people about the, foot, the eventual footprint of these eight acres. So here's what we have right now. We use about four, maybe four and a half acres if we want to build out the whole thing over time, what would that look like? And so we're going to be, in the next year, be getting people together to say, what would the next building be? Where would it be? What would be the one after that? Where would the parking lot be? All those kinds of things you want to get out ahead of so you, you know where you're going or you have a chance to you know, accurately move because uh, you have a, a plan that you're going with. Then organizational structure. A lot of this, you've, again, you've seen it in some way whether it's the website stuff, the service teams that Sam has done a great job on, or the hospitality teams. And then we just have a whole group of people that circle around positions at Christ Community Church. So it could be a staff person like me, and we want to add a staff person. could be a part-time person. could be a college intern. could be a, a ministry apprentice that was somebody who was in college or... David Dowda, who just became a ministry apprentice, he works in the summer and doesn't need to work full-time during the school year, so he's come on as a ministry apprentice. Mark the Cosmaker, he, he is an, the executive pastor, but he's not in a paid position. So we have the $5,000 my friend just gave me. So there's all kinds of ways we're thinking about this. There's two or three other people, some of them are in this room, saying, Paul, I want to somehow get around the leadership table. You know, what's... I'm trying to, I'm a square, can you stick me in a square? I'm trying to, square, that's probably not good. I'm a, I'm a star, can you stick me in the star, you know, location, right? Not a square. Let's, let's get that off the tape. Um, and, and we're just trying to 
figure out what, what is that? What does that look like for everybody in those kinds of positions? And how can we be creative that helps us get into that uh, bigger boat? So that's number one. That's the first great challenge is I think we need a bigger boat. I think you probably think that too. And we've seen it over the last few years more dramatically. And we're just all trying to figure out what does that really look like and some of the structures in place and some of the structures being built uh, right now. The second challenge is the greater need, a greater need for deeper people. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 1. You're familiar with this. There's two pieces of scripture that help me just think about what I'm trying to say when I say the greater need for deeper people. So you know this verse 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk or stand or sit, basically, in the way of sinners. And the reason he doesn't is he delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. So he gets up, he delights in the law of the Lord, and then he goes out and takes his daily journey, and because he's come from the law of the Lord that he's meditated on, he knows when not to stand or sit or uh, walk in this way. He's smart enough, he's mature enough to figure out what does that mean. And so he is a person who can go out into the community with maturity, with stability, because he's going out into a community that's in a lot of chaos. And we want to be people who are sending out these people that are trees planted by streams of living water. That's such a great image that the psalmist used that I love to think about. A great tree planted. Tom Schramm, if you were here last week, had this quote, to rest in the shade of a beautiful old tree, to partake of its fruit, or to simply stand and admire its majesty is to incur a debt to one who planted it there many years ago. So we're planting trees. Some are bigger, some are smaller. We're planting a lot of small trees right now that we hope over time can be the trees that grow up into a chaotic culture that people will come and find shade from, find fruit from, find beauty in. This is the picture that you see me use a number of different times, this picture of Furman University. It's always good to have Furman somewhere where mentioned in a Sunday school class. This is one of the academic buildings, and they, were, they just built it. And you see these little sticks that are along the road. Those are trees that got planted in 1950. And I took this picture a couple years ago, the same trees. So that to me is a great picture of we're planting these small trees. And some, some of us are bigger trees now, more mature, for this, for beauty. You just look at it and you go, that's beautiful. Maybe for shade, maybe for fruit, whatever that is, that's what we're trying to do. And we have to be about planting these deep people. You can see how we could get off track if we were just interested in building a bigger boat for everybody outside. Because we could be very shallow and very wide. But in order to really be successfully being wide, I think you have to be a deep person. And we want to be 
a deep church in that way. Ephesians 4, let's just turn to that. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is trying to build deep people as well. And Ephesus, as you probably know, is a very chaotic culture. So the first half of the book, first three chapters, he basically gives doctrine. And then in chapter 4, he transitions. He says, sort of, now that you know that doctrine, I need you to be out in the community. And it says in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, and he, this is Paul speaking about Christ, Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are people who are ministering and praying to equip the saints, this is the congregation, for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the whole unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's a, that's a big tree like I'm trying to talk about. To the full measure, verse 14, so that, why, are we, why is Paul wanting these mature believers? Verse 14 answers that, so that we may, long, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Paul's going to send them into this idle, rich territory of Ephesus and knows it's like a turbulent water. And if they're not deeply rooted, they're easily going to become unrooted. And so Christ Community Church's second great challenge, or one of the two great challenges, is to build deeply rooted people. So in my opinion, you and I are living when we are morally and religiously moving back towards a first century model of being a Christian. In the first century in Ephesus, small church, very hard to make impact on the culture because it was so depraved. Paul says, look, we can't, we can't go live on an island. We got to live here. But if we're going to live here and succeed in any meaningful way for the gospel, we have to have deeply rooted people. And so I'd say we're not quite where people lived in Ephesus, but in, and this is just my opinion, you could give pushback. I think we're moving in that way as a culture. So there's a guy who wrote an article that would just helped say what I thought, and this is his assessment that it, before 1994, his assessment is we lived in a positive world. As, this is as a Christian. To be seen as religi a religious person and one who exemplifies traditional Christian norms is a positive. It's, good, it's great you're a Christian. That might actually enhance your social standing. Oh, he's a Christian? Well, then he's definitely good or right or bring him in or, what, or her in, whatever that may be. And again, the, just his assessment, this didn't come out of the Bible, but from 1994 to 2014, Christianity was seen as socially neutral. It's no longer the dominant status, uh, but it's not really a knock. And for the most part, traditional norms hold together religiously. Today, in this world, being a Christian is a social negative, especially when you're in high-status positions, university positions, anything academic, intelligent. When you're in those kinds of positions, it's a negative. 
I've, I've talked to many professors who have a hard time even expressing their faith because of it. Christianity in many ways is seen as undermining the social good and traditional norms are expressly repudiated. See, now if you say, I'm a Christian and I believe something this way as the social outworking of my Christianity, oh, that's ter- terrible. I mean, it's not like, well, I mean, everybody gets to decide. No, you can't have that belief in the negative world. A couple of weeks ago, I used the um, example of uh, Isabella Chow. I don't know if you remember her. She's a college student out at, uh, I think it was Stanford. And she, was ha- she had to vote on something because she was in the Senate, and it was an LGBTQ sort of law that got passed. And she just abstained, but she had this very, well, I thought, winsome argument of, look, I'm not trying to uh, be down on you guys. I don't think there should be any bigotry, but just I have a certain belief system that won't allow me to affirm that. So I'm just, I'm just abstaining from it. Well, she got shouted down, and the quote that, that was most... Uh, uh, telling to me was from the newspaper, her view undermines what is good for the society, so she has to resign from public office. That's the negative world. See, she can't just hold it and say, well, 18-4, one against, we win. That's not good enough. No, she has to agree. We can no longer have Christians who disagree with our positions. That's the negative world. Now, maybe that's just an example, and you're saying, oh, that's just one data point. I would just say, I think that's where we're moving as a culture. And because of that, if you were in positive world, maybe the tree didn't have to be quite so deep because you got a lot of affirmation from the culture around you. But in negative world, and my grandson is here today, you'll definitely want to see him. He'll be in the lobby, available for autographs after the sermon. But here he is, you just turn one. When, when he's 55, what's the world going to be like when he's around? I'm nervous about it. I think you'd probably be nervous about it. So I've got to do what I can do right now as his grandfather to get him to be a tree planted by a living. I, that is on my mind all the time. That's on my mind all the time for you. What keeps me awake at night is your stability in cultural chaos. And whether I look at Kelsey, who's 19, and at, at UNC, or I'd come home going to Cape Fear, UNCW, or whether I look at Chuck Marzon, who's a little over 19. <laughs> we all lit, we're, we're all on the same boat now. And so I think, is Christ Community Church building those kinds of people? And I'm trying to get us there. I think all the elders are trying to get us there. I think all the staff. But I'm telling you, I think that's a pressure point that we have to have as a a driving force as we move forward. So I have equal concern for the, the, the culture around us. That was the first point, as I do for the culture inside here. Those two things are really what make up Christ Community Church 2.0. Those are the two things that, that catch my attention. So I want to show you a video, and then we'll have a, a couple of minutes for uh, questions. This is a little video I got offline, and it's describing the church in China. 
takes a couple minutes, and then we'll make some comments about it. I'm afraid that if, like, some people use this, use their video and show it to the government, saying that uh, this guy is saying bad words of our country, then I will get into trouble. Um, so in my opinion, it's very difficult to have a big picture of the churches in China because we are hidden and uh, there's no public website, no public journal, so people don't know each other. Um, and we don't know what other churches are doing. But from my point of view, like, I don't think it's, uh, it's as good as what the Western friends think. Uh, there's a lot of prosperity gospel thing, and there's also a lot of people using Christianity as a way to earn money, to sell his own products like spiritual water, drink and cure every disease. Um, and uh, there are also many uh, house churches um, they are faithful to the Bible, but they don't know how to lead, uh, to disciple, to do church discipline membership. Um, so yeah, I think I would say it's very complicated. We always have a mindset of spiritual battle. Uh, so like for me, I'm a pastor. So for me, every Sunday I would, when I prepare the sermon, I would I would think. It, it probably is the last sermon I can preach to this congregation because I don't know what will happen at Sunday. Policemen will come in, ask us to dismiss or arrest me, I don't know. So I prepare every sermon as a battle. The believers are prepared to face all kinds of challenges, um, discomforts or difficulties because of the faith. Okay, I'm going to show just the last 30 seconds now that you've heard it. Try to hear it and look at the scenery that the videographer decided to put around the content. We always have a mindset of spiritual battle. Uh, so, like, for me, I'm a pastor, so for me, every Sunday, I would, when I prepare the sermon, I would, I would think, it, it probably is the last sermon I can preach to this congregation, because I don't know what will happen at Sunday. Policemen will come in, ask us to dismiss or arrest me, I don't know. So, I prepare every sermon as a battle. The believers are prepared to face all kinds of challenges, um, discomforts, or difficulties because of the faith. A huge city, wasn't that overwhelming, just 25-story tall, just endless on the skyline, this rainy, gray day, and as they approach the station, he talks about a spiritual battle, and as soon as he say it, the bars come in. Do you see that? So it's a spiritual battle, and he's entering the station, but bars are now coming in. And he's going to have to preach through these bars. I mean, I, I'm not the artist, so I don't know if this was intentional, but it seemed intentional to me. So the task is overwhelming. They've never heard of Jesus. Millions of people living behind bars, and the answer is the gospel. And then he cuts to a close-up of a tree 
of green leaves. Isn't that unusual? I mean, why? Why, why tree with green leaves? Unless he's thinking of Psalm 1. Because his closing line is the believers are prepared to face all kinds of challenges, discomforts, and difficulties. Like a tree planted by a stream of living water. So I, as the pastor, think, could we as a congregation live in China? Could I? I mean, let's just look at me. I don't have to look at you. Just Could I come and preach thinking, yeah, I might get arrested? Could, could you say, as he said about the congregation, they're prepared. Not they're going to have to face, but they are prepared for difficulties, discomforts, and all kinds of challenges. And look, honestly, if I look at my own soul, I think, okay, maybe all kinds of challenges, but not discomforts. How about not discomforts? See, this is what I think about. This is what we are thinking about as a staff, as elders. If we're moving as a culture towards a more difficult place, are we preparing people who can sustain that difficulty. And if this church isn't doing it, then who's gonna, who is going to do it? I mean, podcasts? Is that going to do it? No. It's going to be a church. It's, and, and best I can do, it's going to be Christ Community Church. So we have this slide, and the center column is spiritual maturity not there by accident. So when I think about, we'll close here, what, what's your role? It's a big question. It's a big question because, you know, we, we have two significant challenges or different ways you can intersect with it. And it personally, it's encouraging to me and the staff to see how many of you already are intersecting it, already embracing things that are difficult already trying to get involved in other people's lives, already trying to, to strengthen your own soul, already being involved. So we're, we're encouraged by that. Uh, but I want to just comment that there's one role that we're all going to be focused on in February and March, and that's the capital campaign. So the capital campaign is one little piece of this whole thing, but I think the capital campaign can do at least two important things. One is... To raise $1.2 million is a significant number. But eliminating our debt and giving us $70,000, $80,000 a year to use helps build a bigger boat. But to raise $1.2 million, all of us at different levels have to be prepared for discomfort. Because there's some things you could have done that you're going to say, I'm not going to do that now because I'm going to give this money. And if you could only give a dollar and that's all you could give, that's great. But if you could give a lot more and that's all you give, then you would want to just revisit. And I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I'm just trying to be your pastor. Are you really prepared 
for all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of challenges, and all kinds of discomforts. Your money, a lot of times, is a window to whether you're prepared for that. Let's just watch this uh, last video, which we saw last week from Ned, and then we'll ask and answer a couple questions. I'm Ned Marable, and uh, I've been going to Christ Community Church since its founding, and I'm, I'm just excited about where our church is headed. Paul laid out a vision about six months ago of CCC 2.0, and as he laid out that vision, I personally got very excited about it because I was involved in the church right from the beginning, but 2.0 is about expanding that footprint. It's about finding new communities that need to hear the gospel. That what 1 Chronicles 29 is talking about is when King David um, brought together the leaders uh, of Israel at that time and the people and began asking for donations for the first temple that was going to be built. And the thing that I love about that passage is the people gave willingly and with great joy. I think it's a very good time to consider uh, the capital campaign. And the campaign will happen in the spring, culminating in early March. But there is an opportunity for people to give prior to year end. Some people look at what they've given in the way of a tithe or what uh, income they've earned for the year. The year-end campaign would give people the opportunity to make a gift now that will be counted as part of the capital campaign, but they would make that gift prior to year-end. You know, the, the campaign is right at hand. I would just encourage everybody to, to just think about the part they can play. We can all pray. We can all give in some way. We can all give of our time and talents in some way. But that's where we're going. Christ Community Church is headed in that direction. And I would just encourage everybody to get involved in whatever way God is leading them. For that video and then. So if you're interested in knowing more specifically about your year in giving, if you're in that category, you could see Ned or you could see Mark Cosmaker. You can see Tom Tram. But I'm going to give us maybe just two or three minutes. You got a question or something popped up from that discussion that you'd like to ask or clarify. What could I help you with or what could somebody help you with? Yes, Mike. Uh, so I read your article on the um, different worldviews. We're, we're kind of moving from neutral to negative. And I see a lot of the people who had the neutral worldview are some of the same teachers that we've been um, studying, like Tim Keller. Yep. So, so what kind of... Um, how are we going to make that shift? Who are we going to study so we can learn how to interact with the negative worldview? I'm starting a list of people who'd like to sign up to answer that question, Mike. And uh, <laughs> you're the first name on the list. What do you hear the tension? We're really in the, I mean, if we're right. Look, you might say that's not right. We're not in negative world. We're still in neutral world. And that, that, that's fine. But if we are, then who are we going to be learning to help us move to how to live in there? And really, there's not a lot of literature on that unless you go really old school, way back, which we might find ourselves reading something very old that helps us in a very new place. It's not to say some of these newer, these guys in the last 20 years couldn't be helpful, but if their message is geared towards neutral world, then you're kind of fighting an argument that's kind of over and you need to be in a new space 
And um, I, I would say because it's so new, we don't have any, we don't have a long list of people that would fit into that category. But we'd be open, open to you especially, but others who say, I think this guy is sort of speaking uh, in that direction. And of course, whenever you mention somebody, there's some unevenness to whether they're in that world or they even think that way. But there's a guy who wrote a book called Rod Dreher. Um, his name is Rod Dreher, and he's mentioned in that article called The Benediction Option which has some flaws, but has some pretty interesting um, thoughts about how to live in this culture. Good question. Sorry, I couldn't answer it better than that. Other thought or question? Do you feel the same? And that's the way I feel. That's the way the staff feels. But you all might be saying, no, we're, li- we're in positive. I'm in positive world. Yes. How many other churches in Wilmington do you feel like uh, maybe a percentage are along the same lines of what we're, where we're trying to go? Oh, that's a tough question, Kathy. Um, how, how many people are, how many churches in Wilmington are sort of running on the same track that we're running? See the see it and try to move. And I think my answer is not enough. Uh, I mean, I don't think we're the only one, but I think there are there is a large number of nominal places that I'm afraid. I'm not I'm not saying Christians aren't there, but when they get out into a rocky culture, I don't know. I mean, I I see it all the time with different social issues that they say they believe the Bible, but in this social issue, they believe the social issue. You know what I'm saying? And I think, I think there's lots of reasons for it, but one of it is you really aren't, you, you're not the Psalm 2, 2, 1, 2 person. You haven't meditated on the law day and night, so when you've gotten out and you've met this group of people, your heart goes with them instead of staying with the Lord. And that's hard. Look, that's hard for my own heart, but I think that's a, that's a real danger that we face in Wilmington. It's not enough. And I don't think we're going to be the only one, but I don't think there's, I think there's fewer people in that category than there should be. Great question. One last question, anybody? Hey, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of the congregation. I love you. I do. I love serving you. I love preaching to you. I love that you listen mostly, uh, that you're, you're interested in these things. This is, this is the soil that's somehow part of your heart, and you want to be that kind of person. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the kindness of your word and the word that's become flesh that we celebrate at this time, and it has become real in our hearts Help us to be the kinds of people who can withstand the waves of the culture, even if it means difficulties, discomforts, and discouragement. We know that any strength comes from you, and we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.